Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I look at the week's financial news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course and help to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a week, what a show. Lots in the news, not just in the financial news. As many of you know, both Coach Saban of the Alabama Crimson Tide and Coach Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots have called it quits. As I receive a deluge of text asking, Robert, are you going to call it quits with these two men? The big three, as we're often called. I want you, the listener, to know I absolutely will continue the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update despite those two retirements. And so the show goes on. Listener, the show goes on. Three great articles. Maybe time for Robert's Corner. Maybe not. Maybe not. I always say there's time for Robert's Corner. I just don't know if we will this week. Robert's Corner is always there for you. The news, it comes and goes. So, articles here. First one, hedge funds for the masses deliver ho-hum returns and have high costs. Yeah, I took the bait. We're talking about it. Number two, a little different than what we normally talk about. Here's what it's like to retire on almost nothing but Social Security. Wall Street Journal article. And then number three, many, many listeners, clients, friends, talk to me about this one. Yes, they've done it. The Securities and Exchange Commission has allowed for a Bitcoin ETF, exchange traded fund. Yes, the article headline, SEC approves Bitcoin ETFs for everyday investors. So you know we're going to talk about it. We've got to talk about it. But at the top here, hedge funds for the masses. Hmm. Well, let's, what is a hedge fund? I think oftentimes we might hear that language and just assume we know what it is. Well, a lot of times they don't know what it is. They being the hedge fund themselves. In summation, we can say a hedge fund is a pool of capital that seeks a return on your money. Now, the name hedge presumes some sort of hedging strategy. So, while as a, an ownership in an index fund would be unhedged because if the market goes up, it goes up. If the market goes down, it goes down. A hedge fund, generally speaking, might have options, collars, puts, complex trading strategies that result in what they would call a market neutral return or the ability to zig when the market zags. So a lot of times hedge funds are very complex and offered as a piece of your portfolio that will have less volatility and higher returns. At least that's the idea. Now, how it actually plays out <clears throat> is a bit of a train wreck. This article, Hedge Funds for the Masses, Deliver Ho-Home Returns and Have High Costs. This is by Derek Hortzmeyer. Research shows most alternative strategies perform no better than short or midterm bond funds and have returns that lag behind the stock market. Yikes. That's pretty bad. Now, hedge funds historically have been behind a velvet rope. Only the special, only the wealthy, super accredited investor gets access to these incredible funds that allow others to get wealthy while you sit on the sidewalk with your ho-hum index fund. At least that's what they want you to think. Eh, not at all the case. The data, this uh, journalist, Mr. Derek Hortzmeyer, put together two research assistants named Kershet Guinea and He Yuan Lee. And they pulled all the U.S. dollar-denominated alternative mutual funds listed in the U.S. Haha, public data. They then separated them according to their Morningstar category of focus. And the final sample 
there needed to be 20 plus mutual funds in each category. So this is an exhaustive, comprehensive, data-driven analysis done. None of this anecdote bar chart from your friend at the club. This is the actual data. And guess what it says? These, these are the categories. Market neutral. Event-driven. It's based on all sorts of individual events. Micro-trading, multi-strategy, option-based arbitrage, relative value arbitrage, systematic trend, global focus, and merger arbitrage. With these categories in hand, they explore the average annual returns, the volatility and average fees. No surprise, average fees are nosebleed. Nosebleed, okay. These are hedge fund strategies in a mutual fund wrapper, okay? Does that make sense? So the typical hedge fund, historically, has been a private investment where you're cutting a check to an entity not traded throughout the day, 2 and 20, meaning 2% management fee and 20% profits. These funds are for the masses in that, hey, you can just buy these. You can buy these. Uh, the returns were poor. The alternative funds much more resembled short to midterm bond funds in their risk and return characteristics. What does that mean? That means kind of ho-hum. 3, 4, 5% returns a year. Kind of lower volatility. The best performing group was merger arbitrage. That means you buy shares of a company before it gets purchased or bought out and make the spread. They had an annualized return of 4.6% over the past 15 years and a volatility of 4.3%. That's the amount uh, of up and down action it provides, the noisiness of the ride. Most of the other categories of alternative mutual funds research had similar risk return profiles. So, okay, just keep, let's keep it simple, right? These complex, very cutting edge, very proprietary, only the cool and wealthy get these. 4.6% uh, was the best over 15 years. The best. There were really bad underperformers. The option-based arbitrage fund had an annual return of 2.5% over 15 years. Systematic trend funds averaged negative 0.2% over the past 15 years. To put it in perspective, the article says, the S&P 500, that plain old, vanilla, boring, eyes glaze, watching paint dry and grass grow over the past 15 years, you know what it did? 12.4% return. No steak dinner. No thick tie conversation. No sales pitch from a degreed university of stature and standard in your community. None of that. You obs In obscurity, you clicked a button and went away and absolutely thrashed and dominated the so-called sophisticated investor. Mm. Let that sink in, listener. We must remind ourselves of this fact regularly or else we will be taken in by the wiles of these strategies because guess what? Right now it sounds very easy. You might just chuckle, ha ha, so glad I haven't fallen for this. Don't be so sure of yourself. These pitches are not made like this. No one raises money showing poor past performance. You raise money by showing excellent past performance. Well, how do you think you show excellent past performance when in aggregate these categories have done so poorly? Ah, oh, yes, I see you in the back. You've raised your hand. You understand statistics. There is a histogram of returns. There are, in all these funds, there's going to be a leader that just pops out through the group that maybe did better. Guess what the marketing team's going to be on 
the roadshow with over the next two years. The leader, the rest go to the dustbin. And the big data set is not what you see. So you've got to do the work. You've got to be willing to either read Derek Horstmeyer and believe it. Listen to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update and believe it. Read, 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 read. You can't read enough. Random Walk Down Wall Street by Burton Malkiel or The Little Book of Common Sense Investing by John Bogle. All the reasons why this stuff didn't work bubbles to the top. It all bubbles to the top. Stay strong, investor. Be willing to be obscure and pay for your own meals. That is the plight of the index fund investor. And the reward for your obscurity and your mac and cheese dinners, what is it? 12.4% over 15. That's right. Up next, uh, this article caught my eye. Here's what it's like to live on nothing but Social Security. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what in the world is the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update doing talking about living on only Social Security? Isn't the whole point of this podcast that I don't live on Social Security alone? Well, no. It's to educate, encourage, provide accountability, keep you on the tracks. You may do a lot of things right and the ball not bounce your way. Or you may get started late and feel like you don't have a shot in the world at achieving your financial dreams. This article, I felt, was a great encouragement that it is never too late to start and life won't be quite as bad as you think, even if you don't have what you have would like to in your retirement account. So this is by Ver Veronica Dagger and Ann Turgeson. Ann Turgeson being one of our favorites. Article says this, many Americans reach retirement with almost no savings, no 401k, few investments, and no income except for a Social Security check. Roughly one in seven Social Security recipients age 65 and older depend on their benefits for all their income, according to the AARP. All right, so that's a lot of people. This is not just a small slice of the world. And each of these, in this article, it outlines these stories. And in each of these stories, after reading them, I was expecting, oh, these very tough situations. No. These people used relational capital, they, they, they had familial capital, meaning a family member that, yes, they had to depend on. But these people were happy. And I, I'm sure this article was seeking to highlight that fact. But they showed how, through a, a kind of confluence of community help and ensuring their um, budgeting was really tight, they could live. There's one... Barbara Talisman, who's 63 years old, her monthly Social Security check is $1,970. She's 63. She lives big. She she figured out how to like really go bare bones on food, 300 a month. Her biggest expense is her Tesla, which I don't endorse. $760 monthly loan payment from Tesla. So she's living big. She took a five-month trip to Australia. Now, admittedly, she has a little money in her brokerage account, but she's taking it to zero. She spent 10 grand on this. She'll pull half the balance in her $22,000 brokerage account. She knows that she's blowing it and living big, but because she has gone bare bones on some other categories, it works. Her life is not destitute. So, one, it makes you know, a lot of people just pun on Social Security. It matters. I don't think it's going away. I really don't. The official Robert Hunt Financial market update position on Social Security is it will outlast us all. Now, it may get watered down. 
Of course, it may get watered down. But in each of these stories, what I thought is financial capital, of course, matters. And that's what we talk a lot about this podcast. But cultivating relational capital, familial capital, ensuring that you have a positive outlook as you approach your days, it's really helpful. And if you just focus on your finances, I think you'll be disappointed. These are people who, a lot of times the ball didn't bounce their way. A lot of times these folks were widowed or, yes, uh, investments were made that maybe shouldn't have been made. Or health, a lot of health reasons that cropped up they just couldn't anticipate. And they, they made it work. So it's okay. If you feel like, oh, wow, you're behind and, oh, I can never catch up, just do what you can. Just do the very best you can with the time that's given you, as Gandalf the Grey would say, and, and let the chips fall where they may. But don't give up. Keep fighting because just a little bit, and you might be like this lady at the very end, this Barbara Talisman who's going on a $10,000 cruise, which admittedly sounds foolish. If she asked me, I'd say don't do it. And yet she's got a pretty good social security income. She's got a decent housing situation. I think she's going to be okay. She's on a big cruise, stopping in Antarctica. Pretty sweet. And in closing, final article. You know we had to talk about it. Bitcoin, it happened. The Securities and Exchange Commission, the police officer of the investing world, approves Bitcoin. This is what all the Bitcoin bros were telling you would happen, and it happens. You might just be hearing from them a lot. Give them their due. Let them have their day in the sun. Cheer them on. Cheer them on. Bitcoin price, $46,000 a coin. I'm sorry, $46,500 a coin. Now, long-term investor, what are we to do with this? Bitcoin is up 160% in the past year. If you don't know what Bitcoin is, I'd love it if you didn't find out. But if you must know, many people see it as digital gold outside of the current currency arrangement that we have with the Federal Reserve and an ability to store wealth that is out of the reach is of the civil magistrate, meaning there's a fixed supply set by a software program. Now, why, despite the incredible price run-up in this cryptocurrency and many others, by the way, not just Bitcoin, is the official position of the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update to not buy it? You got to take a drink of hot water on that one. Because, yeah, I'm with you. If I could go back in time, and look at the, uh, the return data from November 20th, 2015 to present. Bitcoin's up 14,000%. And unfortunately or fortunately, that whole time, if you asked me, Robert, should I invest in Bitcoin? I'd say no. Now that even hurts to say out loud. I just want you to know, listener, it pains me more than it pains you. However, however, I can't figure out despite all my readings, the basis for price action. Why is it worth $46,000 and not $400,000 or $4,000 or $400? Certainly supply and demand are at work here, but it in, you are constantly counting on a new supply of, of speculators to come in and support the price. And there's incredible risk, incredible risk, that you will purchase this asset. And because I like buying assets that are valued on their future class cash flows discounted to the present value, 
as an index fund investor, we get the benefit of letting other people do that analysis for us. But it gives me great confidence when, say, the stock market goes down, that my assets actually still have purpose and meaning and value, and there's great utility to them. Whereas when Bitcoin goes down 70%, as it did from October 2021 to October 2022, you're down 70%, and I, I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know. So I can't endorse it despite the incredible price action that it has seen to the upside. So even when you see an institution like the Securities and Exchange Commission, which has a mandate to protect and safeguard the investors of the United States of America, and as a result, many others around the world, you don't have to do it. Play your game. Invest in what you know. When you do that consistently, decade after decade, you are going to be pleased with the results. When you chase lightning bugs, it's very difficult to stick with it. Very difficult. And so it's not just Bitcoin. It's easy to, actually, it's hard to pick on Bitcoin, but it's any asset like a trading card or an art piece or a bar of gold where it just sits and you hope that someone comes behind you and buys it. Not so with the stock market. They could turn off the stock market tomorrow and it wouldn't phase me. Turn it off. No buying and selling. No buying and selling. And it shouldn't phase you either. The value that is derived is the cash flows produced in the future discount of the present value. That's what's happening. And oh, by the way, dividend payments are made if you own an index fund, so you will get paid. So stick with it, investor. There's a very large lightning bug, very large lightning bug that is incredibly tempting because you will have peers that are up 159% on the year. What is your job is to keep those costs low, keep that investing simple, and keep that time horizon long because that is what's going to give you the best shot on your investing journey. We'll have to do Robert's Corner next time. Until then. 